Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Who am I and how am I feeling? I'm Clive Owen and I'm feeling great, thanks. How about you? You feeling happy? A little angry? People have so many feelings, millions of them. But what if businesses could really understand all of those feelings and then act on them to make their customers feel better? It's a thing. It's SAP Experience Management, and it's here. Because the future of business has feelings, and I've got a feeling we're all going to like it. Go to sap.com slash xm to learn more. Quick, come on! They just came on now. Let's try to get closer to the stage. Sorry. Excuse me. Do you want to go on my shoulders? Yeah, that'd be unreal, thanks. Wow. Three celebrates connections made by music this summer. Find out more at 3.ae forward slash music. You are listening to The Bird Calls on the Off the Glass, Nothing But Net, and 5x5 podcast networks. For more on your pelicans, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. Today, we're going to open with news of yet another mass shooting. Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, Talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. I haven't really prepared uh, Ali and Dave and Kevin who are here with me for this yet. I'm going to open the floor to them in a moment. Uh, today in Jacksonville, about two hours away from me, during an EA Sports gaming event, multiple gunshots were fired by a lone gunman who then ultimately ended his own life, according to reports. The gunman did this after being eliminated from the tournament in a fit of emotion that can only really be described as tragic. And for those of you who may be asking yourself, you know, what is a mass shooting or how do we define a mass shooting? It's simply defined as an incident involving multiple victims of firearm related violence. Then the United States has seen over 154 of these as of July 26th. That's according to Business Insider and Gun Violence Archives. And if you'd like to know the gun that happened in August, they are as follows. Jacksonville, Richmond, Nashville, Philadelphia, St. Louis, Memphis, Jackson, Tennessee, Cleveland, Chicago, the Bronx, Chicago, Greenwood, Wincote, Clear Lake, Pittsburgh, Columbus, San Francisco, Thornton, St. Louis, Detroit, Patterson, Philadelphia, Kansas City, Chicago, and Chicago again. This is not the entirety of the month of August. This is simply the last two and a half weeks. Now, in case you're wondering if this is 
an aberration. Maybe we're just suffering from a bad year. It isn't. Last year, America held 346 mass shootings within its borders. Now, I know I know many of you did not tune into tonight's podcast to hear about gun-related violence. I want to apologize. Of course, you're here for basketball, and that's that's what we're going to talk about. And I know you don't want to be forced to pick sides in any manner or form. I simply ask that everyone listening just keep an open mind to ensure the safety going forward of our children, our neighbors, our friends, and our family. Florida's where I live, and of course, it's no stranger to gun violence. This year's deadliest shooting, of course, the Stoneman Douglas in Parkland. Uh, 2016's deadliest shooting at Pulse in Orlando, where co-workers of mine were gunned down over drinks. And many of you may remember the 58 killed just last year in Vegas at an outdoor concert in 2017, where three of my friends were nearby preparing for an out-of-town gig. Not to say I'm important in any manner or form. I'm just saying how close these kind of events can come to affecting you and those that you care about. Now, this is a discussion that I think needs to begin happening because we need to start demanding change, whether the fault lies with the Republicans, Democrats, NRA, even those absent of their full mental faculties, parents. The fact of the matter is that it's becoming harder and harder in America to feel safe. And with that being said, I'm going to open up the floor to, of course, Ali Cosell, David Grubb, and Kevin Berrios, whoever wants to weigh in on this. I mean, yeah, press. I'll, I'll, I'll go first. Uh, something's been needed to be done forever, and it, it's just crazy. You look within your own state of Florida, right? I just found out there was a shooting at a, a f- football game the night before. Um, it, it's just ridiculous to the point of ridiculousness because the America's gun culture is by far and away the world's biggest problem when it comes to uh, small arms. You know, I was looking at some stats, and I don't know if it, you know, again, I don't want to bore people to death here or preach, but you know what? Something needs to be done because these are all in our backyards. All those cities you mentioned, we could have all ended up in one of those places, one of our friends, family, so something needs to be done. But 50% of all the small arms in the world, that's about 650 million guns, you know where half of them are? They're in America. The per capita, everything. Americans by far have the most handguns and of course these laws that allow them to do whatever they wish with them, almost, you know? And so you've got two problems here. You've got a mentality that wants to cause harm and do harm. And then you've got access. I think both should be limited as best as possible. So for me, these whole constitutional arguments, oh, it was written in the Constitution or the NRA, feeding people whatever bullshit they want to, that's got to stop because change has got to happen. Um, You know, this is, I, I agree with Ali in a lot of ways, just America has this obsession with violence in general. Um, you know, we allow violence into every part of our culture, um, you know, and we treat it cartoonishly uh, in film. You know, you see death without consequence, and um, it's just a part of, of what we do. We've been taught that, that strength comes from having uh, weapons that might makes right. Um, you know, we talk about the strength of our military force and how we can bring freedom to people through violence, and, and this is, you know, the, we talk about that the, the ownership of a gun is innately American. Mm-hmm. And in, in exchange for that, this is what we have. We have a culture that, that you know, bleeds every day. Um, you know, people have decided by grand measure that we are willing to lose lives to keep guns, that we are willing to let these people die every year so that we can have unfettered access to weaponry. And, you know, you know, people talk about the, the, the thing that in any argument, 
and we can talk about policy all day long, and we're not going to do that here. But the, the biggest part of any argument that bothers me is when people say what the founders intended. In no other area of our lives would we say what someone thought 300 years ago um, matters in such a way that we couldn't evolve and think more for ourselves and understand our society better and the needs of our society. But in this issue, we are willing to go with the ambiguous, broad statement of the Second Amendment and, and continue to debate it with, um, and only on its merits itself and not on the merits of what we can do as a public health issue in this country. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with everything everybody said. I'm very anti-gun, but I'm not going to go too much into that. I've had some, you know, friends die from gun violence uh, growing up, and it's uh, it's tough to accept when you look around and see how readily accessible uh, guns are, and you have you keep hearing these arguments that, well, no matter what, um, criminals will get guns, and that is true, but the main re- way that criminals get guns is from stealing them from people who bought them legally. So if we limited the amount that were out there, it would just be harder to get. They're not, and you know, then you're looking at stuff like the 3D printed uh, guns that you can make at home soon becoming a thing. And it's just, uh, you know, we have a culture culture of agitation and a culture of conflict, um, pitting sides against sides and tensions are higher than ever now. And it's just a combustible thing. And as long as money is controlled, uh, money is controlling politics, which, I mean, it's clear to see, and it happens on both sides. It's not just a one-sided thing. Uh, the NRA has a lot of power, uh, has a lot of money, has a lot of contributors. And um, as soon until we can limit the ways that special interest groups fund politicians' campaigns and things like that, then we're yes. going to forever deal with these kinds of problems. Um, and there's just, uh, you know, so we really have to look at reform and, and uh in the, the way that politicians are funded uh, for their campaigns and uh, special interest groups are allowed to contribute and things like that. So, um, I mean, I think pretty much everybody said what they, they think. I think most us on this side are all kind of on the same side. But, um, you know, these w- this wouldn't happen if we had that access. And going back to what David said, a lot of these people that fight so hard for the Second Amendment ignore the First Amendment, you know, and it's just... Uh, it, it's it's you know like what these guys had 300 years ago or whatever making this constitution it, you know a lot of it doesn't apply to what's happening today with the way that weapons manufacturing is being made and the kinds of weapons that we can have um so a lot of that is just irrelevant also in the argument which david you know ollie already covered so all right thank you guys so much for your input thank you all so much for listening for bearing with us uh this this is this is something that's difficult for, for both sides, whichever side of the fence you sit on. It's it's going to be a difficult conversation, one that continues uh, probably for the, the rest of our natural lives. So thank you for listening. Thank you for having an open mind. Thank you for being patient with us. With that being said, this is going to be a special mailbag episode. Let's let's start with a clean slate. First of all, of course, I'm the host contributor to thebirdrights.com. Preston Ellis, you guys have already heard who's here. Mr. Ali Cosell, the editor-in-chief. He's been working on his kitchen for months and months and months. Um, I, I, I think I'll, I'll start by asking this. Ali, do you have any money left? No, we had to take out a loan <laughs> to get all this work done. So I'm actually deeper in debt than before I started. But hey, 
I'm going to have three good rooms and I'll be able to invite people and, you know, be all comfortable and flashy and all that good stuff, right? Live in the moment, Preston. I'm just going to live in the moment. Yeah, I think I'll wait to visit New Orleans until uh, all of that stuff is fixed up and ready for my arrival. Um, of course, also, <laughs> uh, the Prince of the Portocol, as I like to call him, who uh, all three of these guys are celebrating birthdays. I know that we did this on the on the last podcast, Ali being the most recent of them. But Mr. Kevin Berrios also uh, had a birthday about two weeks ago. How are you doing, man? I am doing pretty well. Um, I currently working on a design project while doing this so i'll take a little break from that which is cool and i'm taking a little break from the power rankings i've been writing um i'm gonna start back on those next month and i've already at the groundwork and initial research started with my buddy travis on the human design chart uh overview of the pelicans roster which is pretty interesting um so i'm looking forward to working on that with him that'll be fun very impressive. And finally, we've got the man who shares a birthday with Kevin, Mr. David Grubb from CrescentCitySports.com. How's it going, sir? How was dinner? Um, I don't know. I haven't tasted it yet. <laughs> um, I, can't, I came over here to mess with you guys. But Kevin shares his birthday with me. I'm older. He <laughs> shares it with me. That's good. <laughs> All right, guys. Remember to follow our guys at Ali Cosell, at DM Grubb, at Kevin B for Bounce. And, of course, make sure you follow at The Bird Rights. Um, let's let's go ahead and start with some breaking news. Um, uh, as of yesterday, I should say, Alex Kennedy of Hoops Hype reported that the Pelicans worked out veteran point guard Ty Lawson and restricted free agent Ty Wallace. Uh, Ali, let's start with you because you have a, an article up on thebirdrights.com. Uh, talk about the article breaking down what Pelicans fans can expect from either of these guys should one of them be signed. Well, I think... If neither one signed, the Pelicans are obviously going to end up with at least somebody that we don't currently have under contract going into training camp. The Pelicans have tried out. I've already lost count. It's that many players, honestly. Since they signed Alfred Payton and Rajon Rondo left, I think what's have been six, seven, eight point guards or guys that can play the point they've been tied to uh, during free agency. So, yeah, I'm expecting somebody to uh, break camp. I, uh, who knows whether they'll get a guaranteed contract, unguaranteed, what, 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 you know, what, what's going to happen on that end, we don't know. But Pelicans obviously don't feel comfortable, nor should they. You know, Alfred Payton really, really, really uh, failed to meet expectations last season as to where he performed badly in two poor teams. But again, we don't need to go into any, all of, or any of that because everybody knows this. We've talked about it uh, enough. So I just want to see that the Pelicans grab somebody. And honestly, I'm so happy to read that Ty Lawson is one of these two names up there. Now, Tyrone Wallace, I don't want to take anything away from him. He's a great, you know, very, I don't want to say great, good young player who shows some skills both defensively and with his length. He's a good finisher at the rim, and there's a few other things he does. But one thing he doesn't do, he's not a true point guard. You know, he's not a guy that you can trust to lead an offense. And I truly feel that's what the Pelicans want. If you want to keep Drew Holiday off the ball, you've got to bring in a guy that you're comfortable with having the ball uh, during most of the possessions when he's in the game. And I think Tyrone or Ty Lawson fits that to a T. So I'll have somebody else talk about him. I've talked about this enough. No, that's okay. We're going to get to our mailbags. I just wanted to advertise uh, our site and your new article that was up there. Uh, so so don't, po- don't poo-poo your own work, I should say. Uh, the other names that you mentioned, Tyreek Evans, Rodney Hood, Isaiah Thomas, Dennis Schroeder, Mario Chalmers, uh, Alexi Shved. Next, we're going to go to Kevin. Of course, you, uh, you prefaced uh, your comments earlier uh, about 
eight Anthony Davis, 10 best professional teammates. You've got two articles up on the birdrights.com about those. Would you care to explain your reasoning for players that you selected six through 10? Um, Sure. I mean, when I did this and I I listened to you guys uh, break down the, the first two parts. And I think one thing that maybe got lost a little bit in translation is that my idea in going into that wasn't necessarily the best, the best, the most impactful players on that he's played with. I was looking purely at a talent standpoint from when they were on the the roster. So that's why one of the reasons Julius Randle is so high because I just feel like the talent level that he brings, um, it puts him above the the rest of those players. Now, it's it's kind of a juggling act because you have guys that like you know, say like Buddy Heald, who was in the last article as a rookie, you know, it's, he, he brought in a lot of talent since he left here. He's shown that he's been one of the best shooters in the league, which he didn't show when he was here. Um, But it's kind of projecting what they could become after. um, And then also looking at what they were before. So, but like a guy like Tony, uh, Tony Allen for, you know, for sake of comparison, he was a great player. Uh, but by the time he got here, it was kind of like the ghost of Tony Allen was here. So you're not going to um, have him as high as somebody like Buddy Heald, who was barely here and maybe had the same sort of impact on the court as Tony Allen because neither of them were that special in New Orleans yet. You know what I'm saying? Um, so that's why it, it might be a little bit uh, off from what some people thought it was uh, going in. But, yeah, I don't know. Um, I think uh, – I guess – some people are questioning the lack of Ryan Anderson so far. Um, one reason is I just looking at him now, like he can't stay on the court because of his defense. And he's was always a defensive problem. Uh, he's sort of a black hole. When you pass him the ball, he wouldn't pass. He didn't really rebound well, couldn't defend. And when he, sure, he could win you some games with shooting, but he didn't, uh, he would also lose you some games when he was off and just chucking balls because he would take terrible shots. Um, you know, so there's there's things like that that we can argue going back and forth. But um, I think, uh, you know, Rondo was one of the toughest ones for me to sort because of the kind of player he is. And it's, you know, one of the reasons we're we're talking about point guards right now is because he's gone and we're hoping Alfred Payton can fill that role. But we still need another guy. And you're looking at these guys that they're talking about, Ty Lawson. I'm not that I'm definitely not as into him as Ollie is. I like uh, taking a chance on Tyrone Wallace, but again, he's another guy that doesn't shoot uh, the three well. So um, is their playmaking enough to elevate them to be able to orchestrate this offense or or him and Alfred Payton? Will they have the intangibles and leadership? Um, Those are all questions going forward. I don't know. I don't know if that answered your question or not. Yeah. And just to give uh, some of those names, we've got, Eric Gordon, Etwan Moore, Rajon Rondo. Uh, you guys, this is a really in-depth article. A lot of good stuff, a lot of good memories, a lot of good videos. I think you mentioned Buddy Buddy Heald and uh, the 10th person. I'm going to guess it was Al Farouk Aminu. Okay, yeah, I, didn't, I didn't remember that one. Um, all right, let's get to David. Uh, why don't you tell us about your time at the Louisiana Top uh, 150 players in the state? Of course, you uh, interacted with Randy Livingston a good bunch. You were just telling us off the air. Tell us a bit about your experience there. Yeah, I mean, uh, it was really an interesting weekend because um, the format, you know, you go to a lot of basketball camps and they're just opportunities for guys to run up and down the court and, um, you know, get a little bit of drill action. But Randy comes from a unique perspective, um, having been 
you know, probably the most highly touted high school player to ever come out of the state of Louisiana. Uh, his connections, obviously, with the state run deep, uh, having played for LSU, having played for the New Orleans uh, Hornets. Um, you know, uh, so there's his name still carries a lot of weight. And uh, what you saw was, you know, some of the best players in this state, but also kids from Texas, uh, kids from Mississippi who were there. And he treated it like a pro camp. So they were doing NBA combine type activities. Um, the coaching was very intense. Uh, it was long he's, and he designed it specifically to be long. The first day uh, they started um, at noon and uh, went to oh, no at 11 a.m. and went till 7 p.m. And he said that was by design because, you know, that's how, you know, the practices that he uh, went to overseas where they were really long. Um, and, and he talked a lot about the differences between um, how coaching is done overseas and how it's done in the United States. Um, just the level of skill development, the level of instruction that's required for coaches to even get on the floor with players. And uh, he, he has some really strong opinions about what can be done to not only make Louisiana a better basketball state, uh, and reclaim its position because at one time Louisiana was producing McDonald's All-Americans at a very uh, good rate, um, but also just for American basketball in general to improve. And, and I think Randy will continue to be a voice for that going forward. And it was just something really exciting to see, especially from a guy that I've known since my teenage years. All right. Very cool stuff. You guys make sure to follow uh, David on Instagrams for some of these videos, some of these workouts and some of the stuff that he was privy to over the weekend. Let's go ahead and get to our mailbag now. Uh, thank you guys so much again for your questions. It's it's super helpful, honestly, at this point in the offseason. Uh, not too much to talk about, not too much developing, as Ali alluded to, but we are creeping closer and closer to training camp. And there are a lot of burning questions that will affect the Pelicans both now and uh, coming up around the trade deadline around January where there you know, should be a good bit of action. The first question we're going to get to is from Young Vet, and his question is, what tier do you have the Pelicans in for the Western Conference right now? I'll go ahead and start this so you guys have a second to prepare. Obviously, there's a lot of names in the Western Conference, a lot of teams shifting around. We've got teams like Memphis and Dallas who uh, weren't really in a position to compete, who have sort of reloaded with both the draft and bringing back some veterans like Mike Conley and Marcus Hall is, is not going to be resting quite as much as he did last year, we'd have to assume. So in the first tier, uh, I think, of course, uh, you can't have anyone other than the Warriors and Rockets. We can argue whether or not the Rockets have taken a step back, but they, they still are the class of the Western Conference alongside the Golden State Warriors. And after that, you've probably got some mix of Oklahoma City, Denver, the Lakers, Minnesota, Portland, Utah, San Antonio, and the Pelicans all kind of jumbled in the same mix. After them, Memphis and Dallas, and then there at the bottom, Sacramento, Phoenix, and the Los Angeles Clippers. I'll go ahead and start with Ali. What tier do you have the Pelicans in right now? Uh, I want to say the third tier. If you count as the Golden State Warriors in their own tier, right? They're head above the rest of the league, obviously. And then, uh, then you've got the next tier, which I guess is the Rockets. And I'm not sure yet, but, I mean, I'm thinking the Jazz belong up there as well. Mm -hmm. You've got that third tier, right, where, you know, it starts with the Thunder, and then I like the Pelicans. Uh, the Nuggets might be there as well. And I guess maybe the Timberwolves. And then the fourth tier is where I would maybe put the Lakers, the Spurs. Yes, the Trailblazers, who I think are going to slip a little bit, Grizzlies, you know, stuff like that. So I've got them in that third tier where they're going to be fighting, hopefully, for that, you know, three to six uh, seed, something like that. All right, David Grubb, you want to take next? Yeah, I, I think that's 
about the right place. Um, you know, I, I would put, you know, Houston and Utah really together for me. Um, and that's that second, that second tier, Golden State being the first. And then I think really beyond that, like you said, I think last, uh, last year will probably repeat itself where that group of teams from four to 10 or 11 maybe are within, you know, a game of two or of each other for most of the season. And those spots get settled in the last week or so. So I put the Pelicans in that mix, especially because of the questions that we we don't have answers to yet. Um, you know, so I don't think that's a bad place to be, and I don't think that that's a knock on the team. It's just that you know there's a big group of teams in the West right now who are relatively even in talent. All right, Kevin, you want to round us out? Sure. Yeah, I I, uh, I would say you know Golden State's in a class by himself. Um, if you would put if Houston would have brought the same team back, I would say you could maybe argue that they were, you know, in there with uh with Golden State. But since they've lost some key players, I think they take a little bit of a step back. So Golden State I have by itself. And then I would have Houston, Utah, and Oklahoma City in the second tier and the Pelicans would be the top of the third tier. All right. All right, you guys, uh, unless you want to debate that, we'll move right along to you already know. He's got two questions for us in a similar vein. He says 12 guaranteed contracts with three spots open. We'll go ahead and start with Ali. Who makes the team and will one of those spots be left open for maybe a lopsided trade or a buyout candidate? Ali, what do you think? Billy Okafor is going to beat out a Mecca, and then we're going to grab one of those point guards, hopefully for me, Ty Lawson. And then they're going to leave that 15th spot open. I just know that Dell has always operated in that manner where he likes to leave a spot open. That's why I, and I don't know if we're going to get to it, but I'm going to mention it now. I'm not a big fan of, say, the Pelicans using their traded player exception, one that's about to expire, one that they got for trading Quincy Pondexter to the Bulls, which is worth about $3.8 million. I'm not a fan of them using it just to grab somebody, just to put on the roster to use for a trade ship. And, and the name out there, of course, floating around is Jody Meeks. I just can't get on board with a team that, you know, we're not the Golden State Warriors, right? So the Pelicans, you know, injuries hit every year, so they have to rely deeper down on their roster. And suddenly you've got a guy who, honestly, not only do I see him as kind of, you know, on a, being a fringe NBA player anymore, I mean, his best specialty, supposedly, is n- nailing the three ball. And the two of the last four seasons, he couldn't even hit 35%. So I just don't see a place for him. And then when you look at the Pelicans roster, what do we have uh, more of than anything else? It's shooting guards, really. So I just don't see a need for him. So I just wanted to clear that up. I would prefer the Pelicans to keep that 15th spot open just in case you have a lopsided trade and you got to bring back an extra player. Say injuries hit and you want to grab somebody once a 10-day contracts become available. You know, for any amount of other reasons, maybe one of those uh, small forwards we're going to see in camp, maybe they really impress. Maybe they're deserving of the roster spot. Maybe Trayvon Blue it is. So, yeah, I'm just not a fan of seeing that 15th spot at least be taken up by somebody who you just want to utilize for a trade chip. Uh, before we get to David, I just want to clear something up that I know Kevin will agree with. Uh, there, First of all, the Washington Wizards are slated to have $135 million, uh, well above the luxury tax line. Uh, so they they definitely will need to move on from salary, and that could be some combination of Markeith Morris, Jason Smith, who fit uh, – coupled around 14 million which would get them right around that line but if the pelicans were going to use the trade exception with the washington wizards i know that kevin barrios would be very interested in both kelly Oubre jr as well as thomas sataransky but here is the quote that ali was alluding to this is danny larue of real gm also co-host of dunked on 
He says, it feels like Jody Meeks to the Pelicans should happen in the next week since it would cut costs for both the Wizards and the Pelicans have a Pondexter trade exception expiring September 1st that Meeks fits into. He doesn't quote or cite any sources to this. It sounds like it's all just conjecturing. But with that being said, let's go back to the original question by you already know. Let's go back to David Grubb. Uh, We've got 12 guaranteed spots. Who makes the final three if all three are filled? Yeah, I definitely agree that um, Jalil Okafor is going to be the only Okafor on the roster when the season begins. I think they, the investment is just has so much upside that I think that they really want to stick with that, especially at the cost. Um, yeah, I think Trevon Blewett has a shot. You know, um, I really do, and um, but I do. I, I also think that they leave that last spot open because I don't think there's anybody that they're really excited to give a um, either a two way to. Um, or to keep on the roster. I think, you know, Dell has always liked flexibility. He always likes to see who's available once the season starts. And to be in that position to, to have that open spot gives him some flexibility as people start to drop folks after camp or right before the season begins. So, yeah, I think, it, um, you know, Jalil Okafor has to be the favorite. And then I, I like Trevon Blewett. I, I like his skill set. and I, I really like the way, um, the dimension that he could possibly add to the team. All right, Kevin? Well, I, I mean, I obviously like Trayvon Blewett, but I think they have him as a two-way and they're going to keep him like that for now because they have that control and that luxury of him as it is. Um, so I think maybe Troy Williams could uh, get in there. And um, the other thing is I kind of disagree with you guys on the the Okafor thing. I think you could see both of them being on the roster. I think we could have both Okafors because, first off, like if you're going to do this trade for Jody Meeks, Jody Meeks is going to be suspended for, what, 19 games? Is he suspended? Games. Mm-hmm. Um, also, we know he's not a, a great NBA player at this point in his career, and you're just using him for salary. But his salary is almost the same as Emeka Okafor's, but Emeka Okafor brings you those intangibles. Thank he's you. a guy you could sit in um, to play for a little while. So why couldn't you just use Okafor's contract the same way you would have used uh, Jody Meeks if that's the thinking? Um, and you would get more out of him than than you would have. I wouldn't do that deal for Meeks either because, like I said, I'd rather just have Okafor hang around uh, to fill that spot um, and help develop Jaleel and uh, Czech. And, you know, obviously Czech had a good relationship with him last year, and then, you know, if you get in a bind, you have a guy you can trust to throw on the court for a little while, you know. So um, that's what I would do. All right. Anybody want to debate or add anything on to that? I do like, I, I mean, I think across the board, we all agree that Jody Meeks just is not a great investment for this team at this point. Um, but I, I, I didn't, I hadn't considered what Kevin was saying uh, in keeping them both and having Okafor if you're going to use the piece, because I, I don't see where folks are going to want Meeks in any deal. And if, if Okafor's deal is, you know, we know Okafor's deal is expiring. I think he is more attractive in that regard. It doesn't upset the apple cart. All right, I'm going to advertise thebirdrights.com right here a little bit. Uh, we have a roundtable discussion as well as an article written by Ali Cosell uh, about Garland Green, Kenrich Williams, and Troy Williams. If you guys want some more information on those guys, we've also held podcasts talking about them in the past. So if you want more information on those, make sure you go to the site, check out those articles to learn all you may need to know heading into training camp. 
And the reason I uh, used that uh, segue was because we have a question from our good friend and supporter, Mr. Waka Waka Wakanda. Thank you so much, uh, always, for sending in your questions, sir. He says, we'll start with Ali. What will you be watching for specifically when training camp begins? Now, this could be those roster battles. This could also be just with how guys like uh, Julius Randle are assimilated into uh, the, the style that the Pelicans play basketball. I think the number one thing you've got to watch for, can Alfred Payton run the starting lineup in the offense? Can he basically do what Rajon Rondo did? And on top of that, play defense a little bit better, uh, basically serve as a positive. Because if not, the Pelicans, I mean, this is where I think it's very important to have that backup point guard. Uh, so, yeah, I'm going to be number one thing far and away from me is Alfred Payton. Um, we know he can drive. You know, there's parts of his game we can we know that he can do, but can he assimilate and, um, like, make the same reads as kind of what Rajon Rondo did? Um, and then can he kind of at least be passable defensively? Because remember, Rondo was, wasn't a good defender by any stretch of the imagination, but he was kind of the leader, kind of the safety calling out plays. So somewhere the Pelicans are going to have to make up these losses on both ends of the court. And you don't want to give Drew Holiday or Anthony Davis more to do than they already do. Now, granted, we should expect their leadership uh, abilities all to take a step up. They probably learned a lot of things playing with Rondo last season. But again, you need to somebody else to really give these guys a hand. And like I said, number one thing is going to be Alfred. Can he seize that starting point guard role and be successful? All right, David. Yeah, I think the two things that people are going to be looking for, number one, is if Alfred can run the offense. And then number two, obviously, I think all eyes are going to be on Frank Jackson um, to see if he can do uh, perform with some consistency in the preseason. Uh, you know, again, 13 minutes and a lot of people have already made up their minds about him. And and I, I just don't want to see folks putting so much pressure on on him at this stage. But I think that the expectations are going to be incredibly high for him um, in the, just even in the preseason. So, you know, I think that's what a lot of people will be looking for to see if he can be consistent. And then the other thing is you just want to see how the front court uh, plays together in the short times that they will be out on the floor. How do, does Randall um, interact with Miritich? How does AD interact with Randall? You know, those things are going to be keys to look out for too. All right, Kev. Yeah. Um, I, David kind of stole my thunder a little bit. Um, I was going to say, you know, obviously Alfred Payton is a guy that you want to watch and see, you want to see his fit, but at least him, Miritich and Randall, you've seen play in the NBA before. So you could kind of expect and, you know, I've seen what they're going to provide. Whereas Frank Jackson is, you know, a guy that we, a lot of us have high hopes for. Um, we just want to see what he, what he is and uh, how he performs. So I, I think I'm going to be most interested in watching uh, Frank develop. Obviously there's a lot of lines this year to keep track of, track of and, you know, keep focused on. But if Frank Jackson can become a rotation player, if he can be, you know, the backup point guard or maybe even pass up Alfred Payton and become the starting point guard or a guy who can play Ian Clark's minutes, or if he's just, you know, a guy that's, that's not ready yet. I want to see that. I want to see him perform. I mean, we've seen him in these videos looking insanely athletic. Uh, we saw him for that 13 minutes in summer league. Um, we, see him. we saw him in that practice that you, me, you and Ollie went to in Vegas. Uh, and he, he looks great. Um, and he's an exciting looking player. Uh, it's just, what's he going to look like when he's actually going against NBA defenses and having to defend NBA players. That's what we want to see. David, are you sitting in like a roller rocking chair right now? 
My desk chair, yeah, is squeaking. <laughs> I'm sorry. Good call, Preston. You got ears, man. <laughs> I got Ollie last week yawning. Uh, you know, I'm I'm gonna start with my own question here. Uh, something that I'm looking forward to is I'm not sure that the starting lineup is set quite yet. And I'm going to start with Ollie. And obviously, we all want Alfred Payton to win that starting point guard position. Obviously, Drew is still a candidate there, Frank Jackson as well. But Payton is probably the the leader at this point in time. But what about the small forward position? Ollie, are we going back to Etuan Moore? Do you think Nikola Miritich has an honest shot at winning that position? Do you think that that three spot is up for grabs right now? Yeah, I think so. I think that each one more was kind of a fill-in starter for last season, and he performed admirably. But we all know that he's kind of a below-average player uh, at that position just simply because of the size factor. It has nothing to do with his shooting ability, his effort levels. But, you know, when it comes down to rebounding or just going up against bigger guys in general, he, he's just given away too many disadvantages. So you would like to see somebody – that doesn't have so many, you know, disadvantages, kind of sees that role. So, yeah, I think Nicole Mirch is going to have a shot to win it. I just really hope that he doesn't simply because I, I just think that third big has to come off the bench. You kind of want to have that rotation set. Now, of course, things could change. Say Diallo impresses. Maybe you can rely on him to soak up some minutes of from AD or Julius Randle when they're not in the game. So there's going to be a lot of things dependent on each other. But that being said, I, I still expect, I think, each one more to grab that starting role because if Alfred Payton's starting – you got to have a reliable knockdown shooter somewhere standing on the wing. And unless Drew Holiday has really, you know, found the marksmanship this season, you, you don't expect it to be him. So they need somebody out there. And when you look at the Pelicans, there's only three guys that fit that bill. Each one more, Darius Miller and Nikola Miritich. By process elimination, you just don't like Darius Miller's chances simply because defensively the guy was really overwhelmed a lot of times last season. So despite me knocking Moore's defense, Darius Miller's was, you know, that much worse. And then, of course, Nicole Meritus has explained why. So, yeah, more is a favorite for now, but I could see Nicola winning it. All right, Grub, what about you? Um, yeah, I, I'm with Holly. I don't want to see Meritage as the starter. I just think that he would be so effective with that second unit, um, and that's a unit that's going to need scoring the way it looks right now. Um, and his, just, his, uh, his abilities um, in a number of areas. Um, so, I think by default, each one is, is going to start. Um, you'd also like to see if, if Solomon Hill can revitalize himself enough to get more than, than just spot minutes. I mean, you'd like to see him come into camp. I, I want to see Solomon come in lighter, um, you know, to, to be able to, to cover ground a little bit more quickly. I think that's going to be a big job for him now that there's more size up front. Um, and I'd like, of course, you want to see if he can hit the three pointer. Um, so I'd like to see a, a better balance between those two at the, at the three spot. Um, maybe one of these other guys will develop into somebody who can take five or 10 minutes. But I think each one gets it just by default. There just isn't someone else ready to seize that position unless they decide to go with the three bigs up front. I've got two questions for you, Kevin, uh, staying in the same vein. But should Alfred Payton not win that position, Drew Holiday slides to point, Etuan more likely at the two, then is there a possibility that Solomon Hill could reclaim that starting spot, just as um, David mentioned? Obviously, he takes away shooting, but if you've got Moore and Drew Holiday and then maybe Nikola Miritich at the four, is it a given right now 
that Julius Randle is going to be starting over Nikola Meritich. Obviously, we've talked about this to death, and we all favor Julius Randle in the starting lineup. But do you think there's a chance that Nikola Meritich starts on day one? I actually don't favor Julius Randle starting. I, I mean, and like I've said before, I think Julius Randle is the better player, but I just think he can be more productive in a bench unit than Miritich could be by himself. Whereas um, Randall's the kind of player that can dominate inside. He can set people up. He can help the offense when they need additional playmaking. Um, so they're not relying on a point guard to set up for him. I just think he's a better guy to come off the bench in this lineup, especially when you're talking about wanting to have more shooting in the starting lineup. Um, and I personally love when AD is playing close to the rim on offense and to start the game when that with that uh, is a benefit, I think. Um, so that's my that's what I, I like. Now, if if it's the other way, I'm not going to complain about it because, like I said, those are three extremely good players. Um, so, you know, you can't really go wrong there. Now, getting back to the, the starting lineup, um, I think if Drew is at the one, then you probably are right that you're going to either have uh, Etwan or um, Ian Clark at the two, and you could possibly have Ian Clark and and Etwan Moore playing together with three guards, and then you know, especially if Randall's starting, because it gives you that defensive flexibility, and then you have the shooting that you need um, in the starting lineup. But um, I think. Like we've said all all summer, it's Alfred's Alfred Payton's job to lose. He's going to get every chance to be that starting point guard. Um, and then you know I think Etwan's the leader at, to start at the three right now. I think it would take a lot for Hill to overtake him, especially if they're planning on starting Randall uh, because of the shooting uh, issues that you would have in the, in those lineups. Um, and I want to say that for for everybody at home. When we were doing this uh, Uber conference, when we were recording this, there's these four squares I see on my screen with pictures of everyone. And there's this smiling picture of Preston looking at me. And when Ali said Juan was an average player or or worse, it turned into a clown and his face turned red in that picture. Um, so I was picturing that the whole time, smoke coming out of his nose like a cartoon bull or something. Uh but yeah, I'm with you. I think Etwan, uh, you know, I think Etwan's the best small forward we have on the team right now. I'm trying not to be hard on Ollie. He must be very tired and very much in debt. So we're going <laughs> to give him the benefit of the doubt. Uh, let's go ahead and move on. Obviously, uh, we didn't discuss DeAndre Liggins at all. If you're passionate one way or the other about Liggins and you want us to talk more about him, uh, go ahead and send us a question, I'm assuming. Uh, nobody's really... Um, I don't know, giving, giving link. He's got very long odds of making the roster at this point. Let's go ahead and talk uh, about some questions given to us by Positively Pelicans and Hot Pelican Takes. When are we going to call the Suns about TJ Warren, says Positively Pelicans. Hot Pelicans Takes, who are the most likely wing targets Demps is looking to trade for at the deadline? I'm going to start so that you guys can have a second to prepare. Based on how the season unfolds, I think some of these players could become available. I'll try to rattle them off. Quite quickly, uh, Dame Lillard, if Portland should, uh, you know, fall in a blaze of glory, Harrison Barnes, John Wall, Nicholas Batum, Otto Porter Jr., Jimmy Butler, Evan Fournier, Terrence Ross, Alan Crabb, Tim Hardaway, Chris Middleton, Kent Bazemore, um, Tobias Harris, Damari Carroll, uh, Trevor Reza, Bob Covington with Wilson Chandler there. I think one of them could become available. Mo Harkless, Alec Burks, 
Norman Powell, Jay Crowder, Jonathan Simmons, KCP, and Justice Winslow. Let's go ahead and start with Ali, or if you're not ready and you need more time to prepare, I'll pass it along. Otherwise, who do you think Demps could be targeting around January? It's not going to be a guy like TJ Warren. It's got to be somebody that you can depend on to just drill that free ball as soon as he's passed the ball. Because the Pelicans already have, you know, the scores. They already have the guys 1A and 1B on offense. So you just need good, solid role players. And outside of each one more, Nikola Miritich, the Pelicans don't have another, you know, guy that you can rely on for that three-point shot that you don't mind giving minutes, you know, about 20 minutes a game. So that's got to be his target. That's why we've heard his um, – uh, professed, you know, or he's been chasing around Kent Bazemore for a while. That's why there were some Otto Porter rumors. Um, th- there's been a lot of other rumors, too. So all, all in reference to, uh, you know, three-point shooting uh, wings. So that's why I'm eyeing. And, uh, you know, guys I'm looking at, I would love to see Trevor Ariza maybe somehow once the Phoenix Suns get off to another slow start, they know they're not going anywhere. Maybe they could cash his uh, one-year deal. Uh, into some kind of, you know, future assets because the Phoenix Suns are not going to make any waves this season. So I would love to see him come over. Um, You mentioned some other good, besides anybody in Washington, we've already talked about Oubre and Porter, but you're right, Charlotte Hornets. And um, besides Nicole, uh, was it, Batum, I like Kemba Walker. It would be interesting if there's any chance that the Pelicans could get in on him. Uh, So there's a lot of guys out there that, that could help. And so... Demps is going to look under every rock, but you guys have got to make sure you limit your targets to guys that can fill fill a role with the New Orleans Pelicans. I just don't see a guy like T.J. Warren doing that. All right, Grub? Yeah, I I don't think T.J. Warren would be the target at all. Um, A lot of the guys that, you know, I think Tobias Harris actually should be on that list as well. Um, He's in in the last year of his deal with the, the Clippers. Um, And I think Jerry West is looking to start really ripping that team apart. Um, that's why he start, you know, started unloading a bunch of those contracts. Um, and Tobias Harris could be a really good candidate. He's a guy who can shoot from deep, gives you some size at the small forward position, um, and he could be an interesting target. But, um, you know, I really think the Pelicans are going to try to be patient uh, because they've already changed the, the complexion of the team so much that I don't think there'll be an, a, a, a pressing um, need early unless there's an injury or something. Um, that causes Dell to go look, but I think he really wants to try to find enough time so that his position in the trade market is as best as it can be. And that's why we've talked about this before and said we anticipate that it'll be a lot closer to the trade deadline that a deal gets made rather than making one early in the season to fill that need. I think they just want to give these guys an opportunity to gel. They know that won't happen overnight. And um, a lot of the targets that are on the market are just still really expensive. All right, Kev? Yeah, I'm going to start off just by um, disagreeing a little bit with Ali on Trevor Ariza. And my main reason is not because of the player he is. It's because he's on a one-year contract and you're going to be getting him for six months and then you're not going to have his bird rights also. So you're basically going to have him, Miritich, and Randall all entering free agency and not have bird rights, you know. So um, I wouldn't make that move. Um, There's a guy you mentioned that, I kind of like, and you can make the salaries work um, if you traded Solomon Hill out with Agenza. And I think maybe like, uh, I think you had to add like uh, Okafor. I was actually looking at this the uh, yesterday um, for Alan Crabb. Now, Alan Crabb's not a great player and he's not worth the 18 million he's paid, but 
it's good. He expires this year, and then you would have his bird rights to be able to sign him afterwards. But he is a very good shooter from from deep. I think I was looking at it yesterday. I think he shot like forty two percent from three uh, last season, and he's always been up there. Um, so he provides that spacing and that size on the wing that you might want. Um, but another guy that I really like, who when we're we're talking about trade exceptions, um, this guy would fit into the Dante Cunningham one. So you're not pressed up against. Uh, the deadline of September 1st on the Quincy Pondexter one is uh, Denzel Valentine. I don't know what it would take to get him, but he's a, also a good shooter from deep. He's still a young player. Uh, he's had some knee issues, but he's a playmaking uh, forward, um, which would help in this, in, you know, either in the starting unit or the second unit that needs help creating plays. He's he's not bad at that. He rebounds. He's not a great defender, but he's not terrible. He's He's got a good basketball IQ. Um, and I think he shot like 40. Let me see. Actually, I have him pulled up right here. Um, he shot 38.6 from three on, well, that's per 108.6 per 100. But last year he took um, 4.8 threes a game in 27 minutes. So, you know, he's not like, he's, he's a, you know, a pretty aggressive shooter, um, one that you would have to worry about. And he's also 6'6". So I think he would be a good fit on the wing. Um those are two guys, you know, besides the obvious targets that we always talk about, Jonathan Simmons and Sadoransky, those guys. Hey, Kevin, real quick. I just want to toss this out at you. Trevor Ariza, you're saying you're worried about having his bird rights. What about you get to lose Solomon Hill and suddenly you're gaining enough cap space next year where you can bring back both Miritich and Randall? Suddenly you don't really care about Ariza's one-year deal, do you? Well, well, and like I said, though, if you made that trade with uh, – Alan Crabb, then you have Alan Crabb's bird rights instead. Uh, so you can then find those other guys over the cap to bring back Crabb. You know what I mean? Like, that's just what I'm looking at. Yeah, I'm just looking at any way to get Hill off the books without bringing back any salary for next year, just in case the Pelicans want Randall and Miritich, which I think should be the goal. Oh, yeah, definitely. I agree with that 100%. All right, just some stats on Denzel Valentine. Uh, last year, uh, started 37 of 77 games. 10.2 points per game, along with five rebounds and 3.2 assists. He left a message for the front office at the end of the season saying, I feel like I could have a bigger role next year. Uh, but many of you will probably know a bit more about his performance in the Drew League, where a guy named Frank Nitty from Weber State uh, kind of embarrassed him, kind of uh, 14th overall pick, excuse me, not the 12th uh, in in regards to Denzel Valentine, he scored 44 points on him. And he kept saying things like, uh, this guy's in the NBA. Are you kidding me? And, uh, Rudy Gay and DeMar DeRozan were sitting courtside laughing at him. So not the best scene for Denzel Valentine, but with that being said, uh, his stock's pretty, probably pretty low right now. And, uh, could be gettable at uh, a pretty interesting, uh, price and they would have restricted rights to him. So definitely uh, an intriguing, uh, player to say the least. Let's go ahead and move on to Crescent City Connects question. Uh, this is for David Grubb specifically because I know that Ali and Kevin probably won't have too much to say on this one. He says, anyone getting 2K19? I know Grubb's probably pre-ordered. Oh, and also, what do you think of Drew's 2K rate? I believe he will be an, or I believe he was an 84 currently. I have not ordered it yet because I'm very leery of some of the changes that they've made to the um, my career mode. I don't like the additions of Michael Rappaport. So that's that's the biggest thing that 2K struggles with is the storylines. They're so bad. 
and they have not done a good job with that. And if the gameplay isn't significantly different, I just really, I, I, I mean, there's a lot of people who are telling me that NBA Live is much better this year. Um, I haven't wanted to play NBA Live for a very long time, uh, but I want to see 2K before I, I buy it. Um, but as far as Drew's rating, I think, obviously, um, I think the two things that they underestimated last year the most, obviously, were his defensive skills and his athleticism. I'd imagine that Drew would get closer to like an 88 or an 89. He's still going to be underrated, but to get a four or five point jump from one year is big in that game. But I think Drew is, is going to be on the cusp um, as far as 2K ratings go of elite guards. All right. This I'll one's in. Hey, Sorry, I'm, jumping here. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm upset that you didn't think that I would have something to say about this. Uh, <laughs> I'm a big, big 2K player. I love 2K. Um, I'm definitely going to give it a happy order of it. Um, and I think if I'm not wrong, if I remember correctly, in the first, when you first started the game up this season before the Pelicans played any regular season games, I want to say Drew Holiday was either a 79 or an 80. And he jumped up to like 84, 86 by the end of the year because they update him. But mm-hmm. if, you change his, if you change his position to shooting guard, he jumps up to 88. And I think that's pretty fair of a rating for him. I think that's about right um, to start off with for sure and see if he carries over like from that playoff uh, Drew that we saw in the first round. Um, yeah, so I'm definitely getting it. I'm looking forward to it. Um, and I think Drew Holiday will probably be around an 88 again this year if you change him the shooting guard. All right. This one is from Corey, and I think this might be our last. No, we have one more question after this one. Corey says, who are some players the Pelicans will try to sign next free agency? And then he writes LOL at the end. I'm going to go ahead and start this one. Uh, obviously, the Pelicans are probably not going to be participating in free agency. Currently, they're slated at $89 million for next year. The cap is probably going to sit somewhere around 102, although with the Las Vegas gaming, it could experience uh, some kind of cap spike somewhere around $5 million. But even with that being said, even uh, taking Randall off the books, taking a Gents off the books, and even should the Pelicans be able to rid themselves of Solomon Hill, as Ollie states, that still puts them around $62 million. So let's say the cap is at 105. That gives them about $43 million in breathing room. But then if you bring back Nikola Meritich and Julius Randle, provided they don't walk, that takes up pretty much all of that available space. Let's go ahead and go to Ali. Do you think there's any chance the Pelicans are active in free agency next year? And what would that entail if that did take place? Only way it happens if this Meritich randall davis trio doesn't work. Um, let's say that maybe when AD's sitting out that Meritich and Randall can't hold their own defensively or maybe – Randall just isn't the right component next to uh, AD. Whatever the reason is, let's just say it doesn't work. Then I can see the Pelicans chasing somebody in free agency. But otherwise, you're absolutely right. Preston, most of our money is already going to be tied up. They're going to just be more interested in resigning their own and just building around that core. Uh, if they were to go after somebody, I would be really interested to see them go after, um, obviously, a small forwards everybody's dream. But I wouldn't mind seeing a point guard just simply because there's so many good ones in the league. It just might be easier to grab one than, say, you know, trying to find the next guy that can play with LeBron or Kawhi Leonard or something like that. So I would think it would be a point guard if they would uh, be interested in chasing somebody in free agency. All right, David, you want to go next? Yeah, I I think like you set it up with, there's just not a lot of money to go around next season. 
Um, we'll see if any deals get made, uh, you know, over the course of this year. You know, obviously, if Solomon Hill comes off the books, that's some extra money there, um, depending on who they get back in return, or an, an Alexia Jensa, of course, as well. But you know, I just don't, I don't see them being big free agent um, players unless they get a great deal like they did this year. If they're guys who, who are, you know, end up, they end up get to pay like um, a Julius Randle at below market value. They're just going to have to wait out the market again, or there has to be somebody who's really interested in coming to New Orleans. And that would probably depend on the out, the outcome of this season. Um, if they, if they have a really good season, then of course, yeah, people are more likely to take a discount, but if they end up in the same position or regress some, then the pickings get slimmer. So I think it's really, really early to be thinking about it. Um, but as of right now, no, I don't see them as players in free agency. Kevin? Yeah, they just got to invest in the guys that they need to bring back that are on the team right now. I mean, I think the only thing that you're, you know, we haven't even talked about it for Peyton, who also is going to be expiring. And if he um, performs adequately, you know, they'll surely want to bring him back as well. Um, but, um I think, yeah, the only way that they're gonna they're gonna make a move is if it's like a lower, you know, like a guy on a short term deal getting low pay, like Alfred Payton getting paid less or Rondo last year. You know, those kind of moves are even if they fall into Randall, which could possibly be something that happens because you're gonna have a lot of guys hitting the market. You're gonna have a lot of teams with money, but all the teams at the top are gonna get all the better players, obviously, and then you know you might have some guys doing short-term deals to try to get onto a better team instead of, like, taking a, a longer-term deal with a bad team and being stuck there, you know, and then try again the next year. So that's where they're going to hit. Um, but they're not going to make any major, um, you know, max money kind of deals. I will say the only way the Pelicans get active in free agency is if some, uh, I don't know, big name says that he desperately has to play with Anthony Davis. There's nowhere else he'd rather play. And, of course, I'm referring to someone like a Kyrie Irving who has a player option following next offseason. Let's say for some reason the Boston Celtics disappoint, and he and Anthony Davis become best friends at the All-Star game, and he absolutely wants to come and play with the Pelicans. That could shake things up a bit. But barring some kind of circumstance like that, New Orleans traditionally isn't the the biggest draw for big name free agent talents like that but you never know should the pelicans advance quite far farther than anybody expects uh stranger things have happened let's get to our last question and this one's going to be kind of fun i'm going to pose this to you guys before we get to the question how would you pronounce a name spelled and i'll start with ali p-a-w-e-l space k-a-j-a-k go for it ali I can't even. I, I I can't remember all those letters. So I'm not even gonna try. <laughs> all right, David. I, <laughs> I would ask. I would never say it first. There I you would go. always ask. Cop <laughs> ah, out. What about you, Kevin? Can you spell it again? Yeah, P A W E L space K A J A K. Powell Kajak or Kayak? Is it? Is a Y in there? I think it's, you nailed the last name. He spelled it out Pavel. for me. Because I've I've mispronounced this probably three separate occasions. Uh, Ali might be right. He spelled it out for me, P-A-U-E-L. So I'm going to try Powell Kayak. I hope that is correct. If it's not, I'm sure you're listening. Go ahead and, and uh, just just put it out there for everyone to see. Uh, reading is, <laughs> is something that I'm working on. He said, this question is actually for me. How about that? Uh, when Magic are playing the Pels, who are you rooting for? 
this one's interesting. Obviously, um, clearly I'm a blog boy. Um, you know, we do this because we love it. So the Pelicans are my first love. I'm I'm from New Orleans, Louisiana. I grew up with Saints uh, season tickets from 1991 all the way until I want to say 2002. I was in attendance for the, the Saints first ever playoff game, the Willie Jackson, uh, Aaron Brooks game, where seemingly everybody got injured. Joe Horn in the first possession. Anyway, we're not talking about football. We're talking about basketball, but I'm just talking about my history with the city of New Orleans. With that being said, uh, I do live in Orlando and I do get to talk to the players here. I'm a credentialed member of the media. So when things are good and exciting in Orlando, uh, you know, it's it's a bit more exciting for me because I get to be there for all of these events. Um, I get to sit courtside for some of these games. Uh, but with that being said, I feel like the Pelicans and the Magic are in uh, different stratospheres right now in terms of what they want and what we should expect of them. If the Pelicans don't play well, they lose a generational talent in Anthony Davis. This guy could walk. He could go anywhere from L.A. to Boston to who knows where. Whereas when the Magic lose, you know, it, it, nobody's really expecting anything of them. The only thing that we're hoping for is development. Is a couple of these guys, Aaron Gordon, Jonathan Isaac, Mo Bamba, to make steady improvements. Maybe to get something out of the younger guys, Wesley Wundu, uh, Melvin Frazier, guys like that. But the Pelicans actually have expectations tied to them and negative things could take place if those things don't transpire the way that we all hope that they do. So obviously, I always root for the Pelicans. With that being said, uh, I'd like for both teams to play well. Uh, Obviously, I'd like to see Jonathan Isaac and Anthony Davis go head to head and both of them play well, kind of jaw at each other. That would be the best case scenario. But yes, we want the Pelicans to continue playing well. We want a generational talent like Anthony Davis to stay in New Orleans because in Orlando, we simply just don't have a talent like that yet. We have hopes and aspirations, but New Orleans has him and we want him to stay uh, because I also cover the Pelicans, obviously. So uh, that's, I'll, I'll throw this question out to you guys. If you were in a similar situation where you were covering one team, but your first love was in another city, which one would you root for? Let's um, start with Ali. Or Kevin, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, like, I, I kind of hate the that thing that you have to be like a bipartisan uh, yes. media person. You know what I mean? Like, um, we're fans. Like, I don't think you should have to hide your fandom because you're just lying. It's just a lie, you know? And I think why lie about it? I think you try to cover things from a perspective where you remove some of that rose colored glasses of your fandom, but I don't think you should ever deny that fandom. So, I mean, for me, it would always be cheering for the New Orleans team, no matter what, um, and being honest about it. You know, I want them to win. Um, but sure, call them out when they have problems. You know, picking a team that's better than them to beat them, no problem. But still cheering for them to win that game. You know what I mean? Like, I just, I, I just don't see why you have to lie about those things. All right. Anybody else? Well, I mean, you know, I'm an unabashed New York Knicks fan, and I have been since 1984. Um, so, you know, if the Pelicans are playing the Knicks, if it had ever happened in the finals, I'd be rooting for the Knicks. And that's just, the, you know, how it is. But I, I, at the same time, you know, I, I root, you know, I want New Orleans to do well. Um, I am a fan of the Pelicans in that regard. But they're not my first love, and I, I just can't. You, you don't throw away the team that you put that much kind of equity in, because you know there's a new team in town. Um, you know, I, I will always hope that the Pelicans do well, as you know, as, and, and uh, um, I hope that they achieve success, but never at the expense of my Knicks. So that that's the only thing, and it's a good thing that they're in two separate conferences. 
They only play twice a year. The Knicks have had good success against the Pelicans. But, you know, even then, like, like Kevin said, you don't hide the fact if you're a fan or not. Um, you do have to be honest about those things. But at the same time, you know, for, for me and for Ali, you know, and for, you know, other people who cover the team in a different way, there's just you, you do have to be professional and do your job and be honest. And that's the same thing no matter what. And Kevin does that, too. You know, he's honest about his opinions as of coming from that perspective of being more fan centric than I am. Um, but I think that's the, the biggest thing is you always be honest about where your your opinions are and where they come from. Uh, and people will respect you. But I don't, I don't think anybody should have to hide the fact that they're a fan of another team. It doesn't make you less of a Pelicans uh, a reporter or uh, able to do your job. All right, Ollie. Well said, Dave. Now, I'm not going to tell anybody who they should be rooting for. It all depends on person's circumstances and, let's face it, what their heart tells them. So listen to your heart, guys. Usually it'll, it'll make the right choice for you. Listen to your heart. Classic song. Uh, I think it's from the 90s. Uh, all right. That's all the time we have for now. Uh, remember, you guys, check out thebirdrights.com. We got some new stuff from Ollie and Kevin. Uh, Ollie had an exclusive interview over the weekend. I hope I'm not spoiling anything with uh, strength and conditioning coach Mike G. Uh, Ollie, when will our readers get to see some of the info you two discussed? I'm going to uh, write up that Frank Jackson one for tomorrow. Then in a couple of days, I'll have the Drew Holiday one up. All right, cool. And, of course, David of Crescent City Sports. David, you working on anything, sir? Yeah, I'm working on that piece uh, about the uh, basketball camp. I think that's going to be really interesting, um, like I said, from a larger perspective. And um, I'm about to start high school football. So I know, you know, folks tune into the Pelicans, but next this Friday, high school football is back, and I'm back in that seat, too, for Crescent City Sports. Mr. Kevin Berrios, what about you, sir? You said that you're working uh, on an article coming up this week. I know you're taking a brief break after. I think that last article I just skimmed through was probably about 3,000 words. 7,000. Get out. <laughs> it was 6,000, yeah. That was six, yeah. Oh, my oh God, my. man. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, those first three pieces were very intensive and very heavy. But as we work our way down the power rankings, you know, obviously there's a lot less to talk about some of those players. Uh, but I still hope to expand on some of them to keep it interesting and have some memories in there from your time of watching Gravis Vasquez run the point and stuff like that. Um, and, you know, like celebrating like lunch pail guys like uh, Lula Munson and stuff like that, guys that didn't get a lot of do, but, you know, we're, we're fun guys to cheer for. Um, and then after that, um, I, today I had uh, – lunch with my partner in season tickets who's Travis Thompson. He um he's a good friend of mine. We've been friends since high school. <clears throat> and uh he's really into this human design thing uh that I still have trouble wrapping my head around, but somehow it involves astrology and some other things. Uh and it's sort of a predictor of a person's personality and fit with other people. Um so we were going through today and uh looking at players on the Pelicans roster um, and how they fit together and what their, about them, what their design chart says about them because uh, it's more to do than, than design. But also it was pretty interesting because we were like, he was showing me evidence of like, all right, so uh, this, this date, he said, let's look at the date that Anthony Davis scored his career high against uh, Detroit, which was 50, uh, he scored 59 points. So we went back and looked at that date and, and through the charts, the exact chart for Anthony Davis for that day. And it would have predicted that he would have had a game that day, you know? So it's just like 
looking at little things like that and then maybe continuing it throughout the season uh, where we look and see if we can predict uh, outbreaks, uh, I mean, breakout performances from role players or key members, um, you know, to uh, based off of this chart charting situation. All right. Uh, let's go ahead and wrap it up then. Uh, of course, follow him at Kevin B for Bounce, at DM Grub, at Ali Cosell. Of course, I'm Preston Ellis. Follow us at The Bird Rights. And before we sign off, I just want to give a, a quick shout out. My uh, high school roommate, I went to a boarding school, St. Stanislaus, over in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi, if any of you know it. Um, and one of my two roommates passed away uh, this weekend, Joey Stokes. Good guy, big heart, uh, funny guy, if anybody knows him. So best wishes to he, to his family, to all of our friends. I know a couple of my friends listen to this podcast. So just want to say love, uh, love to the family. Um, and it's obviously a difficult time, but uh, he meant so much to so many. So with that being said, thank you guys for listening. If you like the podcast, this is The Bird Calls. Make sure to subscribe, retweet, like it on iTunes if you have a moment. Uh, we'd really appreciate it. Uh, things are going to get uh, get started rolling pretty soon. We're pretty close to training camp. And after that, uh, we're off to the races and, until probably June again. So everybody make sure that they help spread the word. And hopefully we can continue to grow. For now, I'm Preston Ellis. Let's go Pels. Thank you for listening to The Bird Calls on the Off the Glass, Nothing But Net, and 555 Podcast Networks. If you like what you're hearing, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes, retweet, share with your friends, and most importantly, subscribe today. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it's pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Geico presents Yikes! Another voicemail from your roommate. Sup, roomie? Hey, a pipe burst in the basement. It's completely flooded. Anyway, I called for someone to fix it, but in the meantime, I was thinking we could finally have that indoor pool party we've always wanted. I got some cool swan floaty things already going. Could you pick up some chips on your way home? Later. The Geico Insurance Agency could help keep your personal property protected. Like if your roommate isn't the brightest pool float in the flooded basement. Visit geico.com to see how easy it is to switch and save on renter's insurance.